The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that puts the classic in world baseball classic. I'm Jake Mintz and that's Jordan Schusterman. And boy, oh boy, that's what we watched. An instant classic. Yes, the whole damn thing. What a run of baseball games that we just got to watch in the month of March. Finishing with a conclusion so unbelievable that I just am still sort of in shock as to what we just got to witness. Uh, We are coming to you late on Tuesday night, shortly after the last out of the 2023 World Baseball Classic. Samurai Japan completes the undefeated run. We are going to spend this episode digging deep into this final, this classic final of the classic before we give you our final takeaways from what has been an incredible tournament that I am so happy that we got to watch. Classic, brah. Absolutely classic, dude. <laughs> I mean, classic is under is underselling, I think, what <laughs> the kinds of games that we just witnessed. Also, again, to have them like basically every day for five straight games makes me more motivated to come up with a different word. The way this episode's gonna work, as I mentioned, we're gonna review. We gotta go beat by beat because this game was so good that we, we need to just relive it together, uh, Jake and I on this podcast. And then yeah, man, let's let's just zoom out and, and try to understand what, what we really just experienced. So let's start. Here we go. Merrill Kelly. Merrill <laughs> Kelly, baby. It's Merrill Kelly and Shota Imanaga. And very quickly, I think. It was like for all the people wondering, like, oh, God, why don't you, you for Japan, why don't you use it? Who is this Imanaga guy? I was like, oh, no, this guy's pretty good. <laughs> this guy is going to be just fine. And yes, USA struck first because Trey Turner is the best baseball player I've ever seen. But in general, Shota Imanaga, uh, he he showed up. He He generally did his job. He did exactly what he needed to do. It is a good reminder that just because we... And by we, I mean me, Jordan, and everyone listening to this show have never seen this guy throw a pitch. Doesn't mean that he sucks. Turned out he was pretty solid. His only blemish on the evening was a 2-1 heater middle down to Trey Turner. And like you said, Trey Turner is the greatest baseball player I have ever seen, at least over the last two weeks. Simply just whipped it on down the line for another solo home run. His Fifth of the tournament. Every single one has looked exactly the same. I know this one was pulled a little bit more, and the two he hit the other day were a little bit more left center. 
But the way that he has swung and all of the pitches seem to be in the same location, the way that he has finished has, it, it, what it made me do is my instinct was I, because it became this, this image that was immediately burned into my head of, of Trey Turner launching a ball to left field in this exact way. I got into my head, like, has he ever hit an opposite field home run? <laughs> and the answer is, of course he has. He's, he's, he does have good opposite field pop, but like, it was like, oh no, that's what all the Trey Turner home runs look like because I felt like I kept seeing the exact same thing over and over. It felt like a replay during a game where you don't know if it's replay and someone walks in the room and they're like, a home run? And you're like, no, it's just a replay, except it was another home run every time. But Imanaga wriggled out of that jam. A few more base runners got on. Two on, two out, and Mookie Betts flew out to end the inning. Bottom two, Murakami, who had the walk-off two-run double on Monday night against Mexico. First pitch of the bottom of the second, bang! Punches right back. Absolute piss rocket. 115 off the bat. Second deck tie ball game. I mean, Merrill Kelly, you know, he walked a tiny in the first, but he managed to get get through unscathed. It was like, all right, like maybe they can get three out of Merrill Kelly. And Murakami was like, nope, kaboom. Just a, a rocket that we've all been waiting for him to hit. And he, you know, he did it last night to walk off Mexico. But this was really the homer moment. Again, this guy had 56 home runs in NPB last year. And we wanted to see this one swing. And boy, was Merrill Kelly ready to serve that one up. Merrill Kelly, Jordan, they call him Merrill because he has the pizzazz of a Merrill shoe. This is not Reebok Kelly or Nike Kelly or Adidas Kelly. This is Merrill Kelly. Or even no, Skechers Kelly. Even Skechers Kelly. Kershaw can give you the Skechers swag, right? No offense to any Merrill wearers out there. I think that is the lamest shoe brand by a lot. And so it is very fitting that Merrill Kelly, hmm. a man who is a respectable, dependable, run-of-the-mill MLB starting pitcher is named Merrill. That's the whole problem, right? Merrill Kelly is an amazing major league success story. Went, you know, flamed out, went to, went to Korea. He was good in KBO. He comes back and he is a good major league pitcher. But this is just not who we want to be in the ball <laughs> two in the championship game. Okay, so Murakami uh, takes him 432 to the second deck. And now it's game uh, on. And now it feels like the countdown of just how much longer can Merrill Kelly last. And yes, once you get past, you know, Murakami, the the Japanese lineup is a little less intimidating, although Okamoto, you know, reminded us of that a little bit later. But okay. And late hook, late hook DeRosa, he's booting (laughs) up his uh, bullpen machine and he's got Aaron Loop warming early. Mid, pretty mid Merrill goes single, single walk after getting one out. And they get the old Yankee with bases loaded and one down. In comes Aaron Loop, who is, I didn't really ever realize just how far to the left side of the world Aaron Loop is throwing. And that is relevant because he comes on to get Newt Bar. And Newt Bar hits like a little nubber that gets just deep enough towards Goldschmidt at first that he does not have a play at home. And that scores the runner from third. Japan takes a two to one lead bottom two moving to the top of the third. I was just going to say Aaron loop second best performance tonight by an angel. People are saying (sighs) people People are are saying anyway. Okay. We move to the top of the third loop gets out of the gym. 
two on two out again for USA. And this happened, uh, I believe, three times for them, four times for them over the course of the evening. Two on, two out, Trey Turner up, goes down swinging. Bottom four, and that's when Japan strikes again. Okamoto takes a Kyle Freeland hanging slider out to right center. Three to one Japan. Freeland was good in the rest of his outing. Like a true American, he ignored the pain from that home run, pushed through it. It was really solid, but he left one pitch in the wheelhouse, an absolute cement mixer that was sent to another hemisphere by Okamoto, and Japan has a two-run lead. Moving to the top of the fifth, two on, two out for USA. They're threatening, and Kyle Schwarber flies out. Well, let's not skip over who's pitching this inning. Hiroto Takahashi, who is younger than Roki Sasaki. This is a 20-year-old coming in to face Mookie Benz, Mike Trout, Paul Goldschmidt. Just strikes out uh, Trout, I believe, on the splitter. Goldschmidt, no chance. Arenado singles, but then he gets Schwarber to pop out on a 3-0 meatball. I mean, that was it. And you knew that Kyle Schwarber was not going to not homer again. But we'll get to that. I loved the decision from Schwarber to swing. I think if you are DeRosa, your team USA, and you you take that 3-0 meatball down the middle for Schwarber every single time. That's a great 3-0 swing. Just because the result wasn't what they wanted doesn't mean the process was bad. Agreed. Going to the bottom of the six, a inning I will remember for a very, very long time. Jason Adam. Rays reliever, two first names, gets two quick outs for Team USA, and then forgets how to pitch. Walking three straight Japanese batters and looking absolutely lost out there. The type of scenario where you gotta go get the guy. He's up to like 26 pitches in the inning. Eric Neander, the Rays GM, is sweating through his button-down Columbia fishing shirt. Things are looking iffy. But Mark DeRosa, Team USA manager, is in a sticky situation because for whatever reason, he is not allowed to warm up a pitcher without bringing that pitcher into the game. And so he sticks with Jason Adam. And because he had struck out the first two, you know, with two outs, nothing screaming, hey, go get someone warm. However, again, even after the first walk, it was like, this isn't going well. And and they were scrambling real late. I believe Kendall Graveman eventually got up. But he wiggles out of it, as you say. You know, it looked like we were heading towards total catastrophe there, potentially. uh, And Japan could have added a fourth run, but they did not. If Japan scores in that inning more than one run, the story right now after Otani Trout at bat is DeRosa's inability to control the bullpen. Fortunately for him, and again, whether or not that's his fault, I want to be clear. Whether or not that's his fault or he's handcuffed by the restrictions is whatever. But we were almost at that being a big storyline. But thankfully for him, Adam got out of it. Yes. Well, and I was going to say, I mean, that think about how many perfect things had to line up for us to get Trout and Otani. Yeah. If Japan keeps scoring there, maybe he ends up hitting again. And like, again, there's so many other things that had to line up perfectly. So it all stayed in place. The script was on time and on schedule. And, and in such, and so we go to the seventh. And it is around this point that Shohei Otani starts going down to the bullpen after his at bats. Going into this game, he had been asked, Are you available to pitch tomorrow? He was predictably coy 
about that. But we knew he wasn't going to start, which meant that he had to relieve. And because I don't know if you folks know this, Shohei Otani also hits. It is more difficult mm-hmm. for him to find time to warm up. He needs to, like a little leaguer, go do it during his hitting, during the team's hitting inning. And that's what started happening with him jogging down to the pen, starting around the seventh inning. In the top of the seventh, you, the U.S. starts to really threaten. Two runners on, nobody out, Mike Trout up at the pitch, up at the pitch, he's up at the pitch, Jordan, up at the plate. And the Japanese pitcher, Taisei Ota, gets a fastball in on Trout's hands just enough that Trout flares one out to right for a flyout. That is the first out of the inning. And then gets Paul Goldschmidt, whose American citizenship is unfortunately revoked. Not America's first baseman anymore. Should have played for Team Israel, Paul. That's on you, my dude. Double play to end the frame. Zooming ahead to the top of the eighth. Still... Three to one, Japan. And here is, Jordan, one of the most memorable at-bats I can remember for a long time. Kyle Schwarber against Yu Darvish. The backstory here is that the last home run Kyle Schwarber hit off Yu Darvish was in game one of the NLCS last year at Petco Park. Phillies Padres. 488 feet, I believe, to right. The furthest home run I have ever seen in person. That is the backstory. Well, let's also zoom back a little bit to the decision to bring in Darvish at all in this point, right? I think over the last 24 hours, we're thinking, oh, Darvish could start. You know, he's lined up to start this game. It seems that they decided we don't want to do that. And I think that that alone made sense. But at that point, I don't totally, under- it doesn't matter, Japan already won, but like I didn't totally understand forcing him in where he had not looked good the way that Otani looked good. And all of these U.S. hitters had seen him, including Kyle Schwarber, who had sent a ball to Mars off him not that long ago. And you have multiple other awesome Japanese relievers who we had been watching all night carve the U.S. lineup up. They had more of them, like Yuki Utagawa in there. And instead they go to Darvish because it, it almost felt like it was like like breaking the fourth wall of the game where it was like, well, of course we got to go Darvish and Otani to close it out. And it was like, no, 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 but that's not a good idea. <laughs> Why are we doing this? But... I ain't just mad because, about it. Just I because John Smoltz has heard of him doesn't mean you have to bring him in in this situation. <laughs> right, right. I would much rather you bring in Utagawa and have John Smoltz be like, wow, who's this guy? Like, this guy's awesome. Anyway, um, by the way, I just want to acknowledge because I know this was some people's favorite moment of the game. Before that, Otani getting an infield single, hitting a ball 114 and running after coming in for the bullpen, after warming up. Okay, he's amazing. We know that. All right. So anyway, Schwarber in this at bat. How many foul balls was it? I lost count. Uh, I believe, let's see, pitch by pitch. One, two, three, four, five, six foul balls. I think three of them went to the upper deck down the right field line, including one that seemed to literally, you know, touch the roof. Um it was, and he was hitting everything. He hit the cutter foul. He hit, he pulled all these cutter foul, fastball foul, slider foul, splitter foul, curveball foul. <laughs> and then on the 10th pitch of the at bat, it's just, I mean, it was literally like, again, w- w- this is a common thing you see. I actually think that this is more common than uh, broadcasters will very cliche saying when you foul it straight back. And it's like, oh, he's right on it. He's right on it. He's right on it. It's like, actually, no. If you are ripping it, like yanking it foul and you're ripping it over and over and over and over, 
And it's just a matter of adjusting the timing and not adjusting the barrel location. It's just the timing. To me, that is the hint that liftoff is imminent. And I mean, when he hit it, you could almost tell the show was like, oh, well, I'm glad we got that over with. And Dar right. was just like, fuck, like, what am I supposed to do here? Like, I couldn't, it was a horrible pitch by the end, but he'd thrown him everything over the 10th pitch of the at bat. And it was inevitable. If a guy hits three foul ball home runs off you, intentionally walk him. Give him first base. It's not worth the trouble. Everyone knew that Schwarber was going to go yard in that at bat. I don't understand why you just didn't bounce something in the dirt and you just move on. I understand. I think what Turner was behind him. Yeah, Turner. Right? Yep. Whatever, dude. It's fine. Just go it, to the next just, guy. That matchup alone was just like, come oh. on. And I know it seemed like, and Rosenthal mentioned the broadcast, it seemed like they, they did want to wait for Darvish more for the bottom of the order because the top of the order, like Goldschmidt and Arnato had had a lot of success about him. But it's like Schwarber, it's like you can't create a worse matchup. Okay, whatever. But great. You know what? I was like, fantastic. You're making this game more interesting for me, even though uh, strategically it doesn't make any sense. Okay, but... We're, we're getting Trout up. It's all about getting Trout back and up Trey for the night. Turner yes. is what gets Trout up. Trey Turner does flare one into center. And that is when everything starts to come together. Life begins to slow down even more than the game already has without a pitch clock. And we start to prepare ourselves for, I mean, again, it's like this shit isn't real. I, I tweeted the, you know, David after dentist gift, like, is this real life? And then we just had like 20 minutes of anticipation. I uh, actually showered. Out. I showered in that pocket. <laughs> okay. So, so they, Darvish gets out of the inning. We go to bottom eight. Here comes well, Devin Williams. Well, just quickly, oh, Darvish man. gets out of the inning, and it feels like with a runner on first and one out, things are going to go off the rails for him. Mm-hmm. But Real Muto and Mullins kind of bail him out. I know Real Muto swung at the first pitch, and I think Mullins may have yeah, as they both, well. Yeah, I think they both did. They yeah. both swung at the first pitch, and you have a guy on the ropes, man. Have a guy on the ropes, and they yeah. bail him out. Yeah. That was yeah. huge, right? Yep. If they can put more pressure on Darvish in that spot, Maybe they need to go to a reliever there. Maybe they even go to Otani in that inning. That changes the complexion of the entire game. Top of the ninth. Oh, I can I just say 30 seconds on the bottom of the eighth? So I loved that the they go to Devin Williams, and like Devin Williams' airbender is really the one pitch that the Japanese hitters at, to this point were clearly like, what the fuck is that? Like, like nothing Merrill Kelly was throwing the Japanese hitters hadn't seen before. You're or Kyle Freeland. Like at that point, it was like whatever. But the way he looked made Murakami and Okamoto look. It was like, oh yeah, that's the major leagues right there. <laughs> you know, and I I love. I know we were all. No one was really. We wanted to get the inning over with as fast as possible. But it was very cool watching Devin Williams do his thing in that inning. Top of the ninth. Mike Trout is due up third. In from the bullpen, from the heavens, comes Shohei Otani. The two are teammates on the Anaheim Angels, and here they are, angelic, in reality, on the field at Lone Depot Park. Trout on the top step, in the hole, about to face off. That shot was so good. They should have. That was was like... A plus 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 uh, production from the Fox broadcast there. But before we get to Mike Trout, we got to do, I guess, Jeff McNeil. Uh, Otani I <laughs> against mean, McNeil. What, what an a fucking AB. What a fuck. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. That pitch he took, I mean, that's 
Well, hey, whatever. We're going crazy. One of the greatest takes I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. That, like, in that spot, in the in the pitches he was fouling off, how hard Otani was throwing, even for him. Jeff McNeil, who, you know, Jeff McNeil wants to swing the bat. He's a fucking batting champion, you know? Like, Jeff McNeil is not up there to walk. Uh, and yet, he did it. He was like, I know my place here, okay? I need to get on base. And he did it. It was incredible. It was incredible. I love that take because I love your take about this take. Because when a player takes a pitch like that, it's either this guy is a savant or what a lucky asshole who who was totally frozen and that looked like strike three. Whatever. Lead off walk. Otani takes off his cap, wipes his brow. The crowd at at the depot on its feet. You can you start to have nightmares of Otani capitulating on the mound in this spot. What if it all goes wrong and his whole career spirals out of control after this and he has to become but, like a gardener or opens then, up like a bed and breakfast? But then the other side of you that believes that Otani is a superior thinks this is all part of the plan. He's going to hit a walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth. But then Mookie Betts who has had an uneven performance in the World Baseball Classic um, on the second pitch of the at-bat. Both takes the air out of the building and also lights it up to a degree that we could not even fathom by grounding into a double play. And it wasn't even close. I mean, it was just like tailor-made, right? The the funny thing about the term tailor-made is that the tailor doesn't Make it doesn't the tailor change the clothes? Doesn't they you when the tailor would hem? Good point. I don't know why I was leaning on a baseball cliche there, but that is just what I hear. Think when I say you could not yeah. have an easier double play produced for you. <laughs> I agree with you. The other funny thing about this sixth hardest hit ball of the night. <laughs> Mookie Betts's double play in the ninth. One hundred four point eight off the bat. Obviously, it had a launch angle of negative fifteen degrees which is uh, the equivalent of sad if you're a USA fan, because it could not have gone easier. The second he hit it, you knew the second baseman would be there, and you knew there'd be two outs, nobody on with Trout up. And were they facing Great Britain? Perhaps that double play would not be executed. But no, you are facing possibly the best you know defensive team on earth. And so here you are now down to your last out, with Mike Trout coming to the plate as the tying run. Um, Let's take a quick break, Jordan, and we'll be back after this to talk about Trout and Otani. Negro Leagues Baseball Museum President Bob Kendrick hosts the SiriusXM original podcast, Black Diamonds. The Negro Leagues didn't care what color you were, and they didn't care what gender you were. Can you play? Hear stories of the leagues and legends that shaped sport, culture, and society. That's why the museum is so important. It's like, we are never going to forget you. Episodes of the award-winning Black Diamonds are now available wherever you get your podcasts. We're not talking about balls and strikes. We're talking about your life. And we're back here on Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schuster, and channeling our inner Ryan Seacrest. If this is how you're finding out what actually happened in the game, I really hope 
that's not the case. You should go watch it first. Anyway, Otani Trout, Trout Otani. The man who Otani wanted to play with. Remember, Mike Trout was a huge reason that Otani wasted six years of his prime in Anaheim. Okay? He idolized this man. He looked up to him fittingly so, and thought that he was the path to greatness. And I would imagine that an aspect of getting to watch Trout play every day, of learning from Trout, of being in his aura, of soaking up his greatness, has allowed Otani to become the person he is today. There's probably a piece of that in there. I'm not saying Trout built Otani, but that's certainly in there. These two have obviously never faced one another. They've only been on the same team. Can I, I want to start on that point. Do we think that's true? I feel like we would have, obviously, never in a setting like this. But like this, this kind of matchup, even on a backfields in spring training, would basically never happen, right? So I do wonder, like, has Mike Trout ever stepped in the box against Shohei Otani in any context? I think that there's a chance he has stepped in the box but not swung. Would be my guess. But I think it's been years since that's happened. Correct. If you're running the Angels. You do not put these two men near each other in spring training when they're doing fast they should never hitting or pitching. Be standing on the same backfield. <laughs> no, if there's like a sinkhole that opens up, you only want one of them to go down to the bottom of the earth. Anyway, okay. Trout walks to the plate and he takes the first pitch, a slider low. He does not move a muscle, right? It was clear from the way he took the pitch that he was never going to swing at the first offering, which shouts to Trouty for understanding the gravity of the moment, for knowing that we did not, like if he swings and rolls over and that's it, <laughs> what an anticlimactic way for that to end. So shouts out to Trout for the way he handled the at-bat. And I imagine if you're him, you want to see more than one Otani pitch from the standpoint of, again, also a, a unique opportunity for him, even regardless of the stakes and the circumstance, right? Okay, 1-0. Time to challenge your friend Mike, Mr. Otani, and challenge him, he does. One hundo right down the middle, and Mike Trout is swinging like he has never seen a fastball before. <laughs> Now, to be fair, this one was middle down, okay, right? Down. Not middle, middle. This one was middle down. Trout is late to it. Totally forgivable. Swings through it. One, one count. Okay. Next pitch. Otani, a hundo again, about like an inch or two off the plate. Trout doesn't budge, spits on it. And as he kind of recoils back from the take, he shakes his head saying, no, 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 that ain't no strike. Not in this book. Not in my game. Sorry. Sorry, buddy. Next pitch. 2-1 count. 100 miles an hour right down Broadway, which to be clear as a New Yorker doesn't run down the middle of New York, but that's no. that's not that important. Down the pipe, down the dick, right in the middle of the plate. It could not have been more middle. And Trout is late to it. Swings right through it. Strike two, Even more two, two late. count. Even, Even later late. than the first one. The ball had arrived in the catcher's glove and had taken its shoes off by the time Mike Trout, one of the greatest hitters who ever lived, could uh, offer his bat at it. The swing got stuck in traffic, okay? 
the uh, there was a delay of refueling the plane in the previous city before the plane reached your gate. So it was late, like Mike Trout's swing. 2-2 count. And here you see Otani like revving up the power meter. Okay, he's like, I am going to throw this baseball as hard as I freaking can on the 2-2. And he rears back and absolutely, he just spikes one, right? Yeah. Just throws one into the dirt, nowhere near the zone at 102. 3-2 count. Uh, now at this point, Again, we're still in full, you know, full-fledged delirium. Is this real life, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's a three-two count. And did you think he was going to throw him another fastball at this point? Yes. Okay. Uh, instead, he decided to unleash. I mean, <laughs> I'm so glad we have the term sweeper now. But even that does not fully justify or fully encapsulate the movement of this pitch. And I've watched Shohei Otani rip off these pitches before. But for this pitch in this spot to execute it this perfectly was truly like watching, uh, however you described in your tweet, it was witchcraft. It was some kind of sorcery I did not think possible to once again make Mike Trout, one of the best hitters of all time, look foolish. And down he went. Shohei Otani won. He beat his teammate and friend Mike. He told him to take a seat. Japan is undefeated and your uh, WBC champions for the third time. And the movie was over. Roll credits. See you back in Tempe, home slice. Thanks for coming out. That's what Shohei said. That pitch really is remarkable, right? Because it's a ball. You know, it was not in the strike zone if you look at the game day. Maybe it clips the edge, but most umpires would call that a ball. But it is too close to take. And Otani knew that it was too close to take. And it is one thing to know that's the right pitch and location to put it. It's another to execute it in that setting. Is It's just remarkable. It's one of the most incredible baseball things I've ever seen. And it is a beautiful, and I was going to tweet this right before we hopped on. I'm sure someone else has pointed it out by now. It is a beautiful mirror image of you, Darvish, closing out the 2009 World Baseball Classic with a very similar pitch against a much worse Korean hitter, to be fair, <laughs> and in, you know, extra innings after much different situations. And, and it is not in uh, HD when you try to watch the footage of the, even in 2009. It's like, what the hell is this? Um, but it is a very similar pitch. And... I have no idea if that had anything to do with what he was thinking. But the point is, is it is so cool now that we have both of these things. You Darvish, an icon of his generation. Shohei Otani, an icon of this universe now in his generation. Uh, he did it. He closed it out. Everything went exactly as he could have possibly planned. And Japan, uh, they are the winners. They're the deserving champs, the undefeated champs. They were the best team. They played like the best team the whole time. They beat the bad teams. They beat the good teams. They were the best team. They are meant for this. And uh, everything everything fell into place for them. That team was amazing. I think that a lot of American fans don't watch NPB. We don't watch NPB. It's very difficult to watch NPB. And so when Japan comes over and plays, there's a big, there's like a mystery box almost, right? 
where you know the players who are stateside, but and you know, like maybe you know Murakami and Sasaki, and that's it, right? To see to have the the ability to see these players in the flesh, to see them on TV is a really wonderful, lucky experience that other generations of baseball fans did not get to have. And that is a big part for me of why I loved the WBC is that you get to watch players that you would never get to watch before, players that are not worse than the ones you watch every day. If this Japanese team was an MLB team, like just this group, they would be really, really good. Really, really, really good. The bottom of the league over there is much worse than the bottom of the league over here. But the top and the in the in the middle is totally legit, legit, legit. And Japan proved that all tournament long and proved it again tonight by keeping the greatest lineup of all time to two runs. And that's where I want to start in terms of our hashtag analysis. Splitters, Jordan. Let's talk about splitters. Tonight, according to StatCast, there were 36 splitters thrown by Japanese pitchers on the evening. That is between 25 and 30% of all pitches thrown. In the major leagues last year, splitters were 1.5% of pitches thrown. The splitter is a much bigger thing in Japan. The reasons behind that, I did some digging, couldn't really figure it out. Couldn't really figure out anything stable and, and real. But it's no doubt that that made a huge difference tonight because the U.S. hitters were significantly less used to seeing that pitch. And a lot of the Japanese pitchers used it so effectively at the bottom of the zone to get swings and misses over the pitch. Trout saw five splitters tonight. He saw 15 last year, all year. That's wild, right? What an edge that must have been. There was a good tweet going around from uh, Brian O'Grady, former big leaguer who's played in Japan, uh, talking about this exact thing. It's just not, you're just not used to seeing it. It's not just that they throw a lot of splitters. It's that they throw a lot of different kinds of splitters. And that's just not even something that American pitchers or pitchers that are developed here or even in Latin America are, are even getting to that point of splitter development. And it's a huge edge. It's a huge edge. I mean, we've of course, it's, no, it's not news. I mean, we saw Tanaka do it for his whole career too, but... It is really, really amazing to watch when you can unleash guy after guy with different angles, different, you know, different speeds, different, you know, tunneling off of different pitches and other secondary offerings. And yeah, it was it was clearly a game changer. Um, but to your larger point, I mean, it's just another thing about how we always refer to MPB as the second best league in the world. And I think that that's true. But you have to say that the top is is 1B. It's not second. It's 1B to MLB's 1A. And like, I don't know what else you need to see from these guys and to, to believe that, but I just am, am going to constantly correct myself now. When I see the velocity that these kids are, 20-year-olds in NPB throwing 97, that was not a thing that was happening even 5, 10 years ago. And well, should I be surprised? Of course not. If we're going to develop Velo over here, you think they can't develop Velo over there? And that can ultimately be the great equalizer because we know the secondary stuff is just as good, if not even nastier than some of the stuff we have over here. Yeah, it, it was really, really remarkable to watch that. I think the takeaway for this conversation is that the MLB line, or sorry, the USA lineup is the greatest lineup ever assembled at hitting MLB pitching, which is a different thing than NPB pitching. Not better or worse, but a different thing. 
I would imagine that if these USA guys saw splitters and all these guys for a full year, they would have started to figure some of them out. But there certainly was a newness factor that played a role. Trout Otani at bat, obviously the takeaway from this game. We'll be telling our great, great, great grandkids about it while we're 170 and living on Mars. This will live forever. I think it is now the most it will be the most famous at bat in baseball history, I think. I think it has a good chance to do that. It's to me, I'm thinking like Gagne Bonds, that level of cool, you know, elite players facing off against one another. But I think we just witnessed the best at bat, the most memorable at bat ever. 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 No, people will be right, exactly. People will be talking about that. And and that's the thing. Like that is the cool opportunity that as we kind of wrap up here with our big picture takeaways about this tournament is it clearly did. It's not just that we had, and it it helped to have all the best players playing clearly, right? Like this is why it's so important to have trout play to have, to allow these moments. Of course we can keep complaining about how bad the U S pitching was and there wasn't, but this tournament was had no shortage of these incredible moments over and over and over and over. And the games themselves were so good and such a good reminder of what postseason important baseball can feel like at any time of the year if the stakes matter, right? This is what we always talk about, why we love so many different levels of baseball. If you can find a level of baseball where people give a shit and people care so much that is almost never replicated during any major league regular season, then you will enjoy it. And to have this and to have something, a tournament like this, you know, on a stage and also in an era where even compared to 2017, we are all even more online and more capable of sharing all these videos and more capable of accessing all this information and knowing about these players before they're playing in these tournaments. That is what made this the best WBC ever, right? In addition to all the players playing in it. And I think everything, all the reaction to it, I think confirms that. And it's not going anywhere because it's great for the sport and it makes money. That's a big thing. Right. We know that's what the mate makes the world go round and what makes MLB go round. And if if it's going to make money, it's going to stay. And I think when we look back in like 50 years, if this event is still going, it can get to the same level of. I mean, it'll never get to the World Cup. The World Cup soccer is a different thing. But if we're talking about global sporting events, like the way to develop that history is to stick with it. And I'm really happy that MLB has continued to invest in this event so that by the time we're old and gray, It'll have, you know, like a like a pan. It'll have that layer of flavor over over time. Right now, we are building that up, right? Mm-hmm. And I think everyone who watched and enjoyed and listened and participated and cared and told their friends about it, that's all this is. That's just building this event up. And the future for it is incredibly, incredibly bright. And I sit here tonight feeling very genuinely lucky that we got to witness what we witnessed today. And I am incredibly steamed that I witnessed it from the comfort of my apartment and not from the stadium. Jordan, any final thoughts on the WBC? No, man. I mean, I think uh, back to reality. Back to reality. We got uh, Adbert Alzali against James Caprellian tomorrow afternoon. Lock in for that one. That one should get me really hyped for the season. Uh, yeah, no, I think just the come down is going to be a little weird. Uh, I don't totally remember what that felt like in 2017 in the same kind of way, 
probably because we were focusing on finishing our senior years of college. <laughs> it was right, right around when I figured out how to be good at baseball for <laughs> right, two months. Right, that's also true. So this will be a little bit of a unique experience, um, but our season previews will roll on. Thank you all for, for supporting us during this, this run and listening. And we have a lot of exciting stuff coming up. So stay tuned, stay subscribed, leave reviews, let us know what you think about the pod, things you want to see this, listen to this season. Um, thank you to Chris Tyler for producing this late night episode. Thank you to Jake Mintz for co-hosting with me. Thank you. Uh, thank you to Shohei Otani for being the best baseballer I've ever seen with my two eyes and glasses. And thank you to Mike Trout for being a character foil. Jordan, who you got? 2026 WBC early favorite. <laughs> Japan, obviously. <laughs>